Thank you, Anna. Praise team. We're looking at John chapter 12, first 11 verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? <clears throat> he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let me pray for us. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to show us how these normal people, just like us, are celebrating because of the resurrection. And Lord, may we too worship you unhinderedly, unencumbered, with great abandonment, giving all. We ask that you would speak to each one here in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in a great movie or a great book, there are often pieces of the puzzle that are missing. And until you get the pieces of the puzzle in the story, sometimes it'll go back and then you all of a sudden connect the dots. Until those dots connect, the story doesn't make sense. This story only makes sense if you remember <clears throat> what has happened in the previous chapter, which we've been looking at in, our, in some of the scripture readings, right? So if you go back with me to the very beginning of Luke 11, or John 11, we are told this, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Isn't this amazing? Before the chapter, a chapter earlier, he's already telling you, I'm sure the, reading, the, the hearing audience or the reading audience You've all already heard about this, so I might as well just let you in in advance before I even get to the next chapter. I know you've heard about this incredible woman who showed up all these men. I mean, there's, there's 17 people at this dinner, right? There's 12 disciples. We've got Simon the leper. We're told it was at his house, the other accounts tell us. And then you've got Lazarus himself who's there, Martha who's cooking. There's only probably one lady in the room, and she's the one that, woof, the whole house is filled with the fragrance of this perfume. She's the champion, and yet she's the one persecuted by all these men. The other accounts tell us it wasn't just Judas, but all the other disciples, they piled on. It says they were indignant, and they scolded her. So here this lady does this incredible thing, and she's heaped scorn at the time. And Jesus is the only one that's going to protect her. So John is letting us in a chapter in advance. Hey, let me, you remember Mary's coming. She's the one who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. 
So the sisters had sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Translation, get here fast because you love him. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of, Man, Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved all three. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, how do you square verse 5 with verse 6? Does that make any earthly sense to you? He loved them and doesn't do anything and stays put for two more days. When Jesus finally comes, Martha and Mary are not real happy, are they? We've already read this morning that they both have the same line, and we rehearsed the line together this morning. What was the line? It was the old if only. Both of them. Martha first says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother, very personal, my brother would not have died. And then when Mary comes, she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. This is very personal. Jesus didn't meet their expectations, and he certainly didn't meet their timetable. This is one of the difficulties that we all have to square with. We live in a fallen world, and death affects every one of us. Jim Croce once wrote, there never seems to be enough time to do the things you wanna do once you find them. I've looked around enough to know that you're the one I wanna go through time with. And by the, the time the song hit the radio, he was already dead in an airplane crash. Doesn't seem to be enough time, does there? And yet, Paul can refer to death as sleeping. How can you refer to death as sleeping? Because it's just like you take a nap and you wake up and you're on the other side. We need a bigger picture. And Jesus shows us here what he's going to do at the end of time. He's speeding it up for us. He's showing you. He's doing a little fast forward. Hitting the, hitting the button and he, and he raises him up. He tells him, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise him up. Your brother's going to rise again. I know he's going to rise at the last day, but there's no way after four de days dead, there's no way you can do it now. But I know you can do it in the end, but I don't think you can do it now. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to do it now. And so he comes and says, take away the stone. Enough of tears and wailing. Enough honor's been bestowed on death. Against the power of death, God's glory will now enter the arena as Ritterboss put it. Calvin says that Jesus approached the tomb like a champion approaches a contest. Lazarus, come forth, Jesus said, as the Lord of the, of the dead and the living. Matthew Henry said he had to personally say Lazarus or else all the graves would have been emptied. I like that. Well, what kind of effect would this have on you if your brother had been dead four days? And now he's decomposing in the grave, and then he's raised a new life. This had a profound effect on Martha and Mary, and I'm sure Lazarus as well. We're not really told anything about Lazarus. Doesn't, we don't get any good works that he's done or anything. He just, 
he is just a picture of one who was dead and now is alive. That's what we have. When you think of Lazarus, that's all you get. That's it. And what you have in John 12 is one big, happy, thankful family reunion. It's as if they are saying, let's kill the fatted calf and celebrate my brother who was dead is alive. Is this not a picture of the new heavens and new earth right here? Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, so they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with them at the table. New heavens, new earth. You're getting a taste. Dinner with Jesus at Simon the leper's house, what the other accounts tell us in Mark and Matthew, and, and Lazarus is reclining at the table. Lazarus. Lazarus. Just a week ago, he was in the grave. Can you imagine the conversation around the table? Here's how Kent Hughes put it. He says, I can imagine Simon saying, you can't imagine what it was like. I saw the scabs fall off my hand. My fingers grew back in place. I reached up and my eyebrows were there. I was healed. And then, and then Lazarus is interrupted saying, Simon, that was, that was nothing. I mean, that would have been great, but let me tell you what it was like for me. I mean, I died. I was four days in the grave. I went to paradise. Boy, I saw all the biggies, Abraham, Moses, David. Let me tell you, the most amazing thing was when I, when I came back and I walked out of that tomb and Peter's eyes were this big around. You know? I would love to have been at that conversation. You see, in biblical terms, at this encounter here, shalom has been restored. God has restored our fortunes. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy, is the imagery of the Bible. Isaiah 12 puts it, with joy you'll draw water from the wells of salvation. He's become my salvation. He's our strength and our song. And as Isaiah 25 puts it, says he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's what they're doing here. Isaiah 35 says, The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be in their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The last battle, I know many of you have read that. At the very end, Lord Diggory is describing heaven and how he got there, and he says, he says Only you and I think, Polly, chiefly felt that we've been unstiffened. You youngsters won't understand, but we've stopped feeling old. I love that. As we get older, knowing that we are going to become unstiffened. The Bible puts it like this in Revelation. He's making all things new. Malachi 4.2 is great promise. Those who fear my name, the son of righteousness, shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. We are going to leap like calves from the stall. And so when you zoom in again, this picture is a picture of new heavens and new earth, yet there's still tension. 
all is not well in this chapter, not yet. You see, there's this happy, thankful family reunion, yet before and after this passage is nothing but tension. Listen, listen to this. After Lazarus is raised from the dead, we are told in chapter 11 that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council. Now, the council, there's a, there's a lot of Sadducees in the council. You remember they were sad, you see? You remember the kids' song? And why were they sad, you see? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So now they've gone and gotten the council involved and the council doesn't believe in the resurrection and now we have evidence that somebody has been raised from the dead and he's still alive. Time to add that guy to the hit list or we're gonna go down the tubes with all the whole establishment. We got work to do, guys. I mean, you wanna talk about tampering with the evidence, getting rid of the evidence, we have to get rid of Lazarus now. That's what's going on in this chapter, listen up. So they gathered the council. They said, what are, we, what are we to do? This man performs many, many signs. If we let him go on like this, everybody will, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our, nation, and our nation. And then in 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given order that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know. Man, that sounds like the mafia, doesn't it? If anybody knows where he is, you just let, let us know. We'll take it from there. So they might arrest him. You see, these are the verses leading up to this family reunion. You see, this dinner, this meal was actually quite risky. It was quite risky last week for the church in Egypt, wasn't it? All these people were killed and their, and their churches destroyed. And the people, that the, the uh, terrorist group came out and said that Christians are our favorite target. Christians are our favorite target. You see, it gets even worse. After this dinner, we're, we are told that a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. They came not only on account of him, Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. You see, it's risky to stand for Christ. Albert Barnes in his commentary on these verses just said, unbelief has no bounds. Lazarus has been added to the hit list. And now the evidence must be destroyed. You see, this isn't just a picture of the new heavens and new earth. This chapter 12 here is a picture of the church. It's a picture of the church. Here we have fellowship at the table that must have been amazing. Jesus is physically present, and those that are healed are present. And we gather as a church. We're spiritually healed, and Jesus is spiritually present. And Martha's using her spiritual gift of hospitality. I mean, when you see Martha, she's not weary this time. She is happily serving. She loved to cook. And she has made a massive spread. We know there's 17 people at this meal. And she makes this feast expressing her love for Jesus. But Mary's gift is even greater. She had the gift of giving. She gave the greatest gift that she could give. 
Here's this rare, precious nard. And apparently this stuff came from the Himalayas. And the way to get it from the Himalayas over to where uh, Mary was, was by camel. <laughs> we are talking really rare, really expensive stuff. Where she got this, I have no idea. We're not told. But we are told that the protest was that this is worth 300 denarii. And you know, a, a, a day, a denarii a day was, was a was a wage, so if let's put this in Montgomery County terms, okay, this was about 60K or more that she just dropped on his feet. And the whole smell. She wants to replace the smell of death with something much more precious. This smell is going to permeate the house. And so consider the perfume, consider the protest. Mary's deed was not about her words, it was all about what she did. She is a true worshiper of Jesus, and she is thankful. She's thankful, why? She's thankful, you, you have saved my brother. You've brought my brother back from the dead. There's such affection, gratitude, humility, contriteness, faith in Jesus, love for Jesus, sacrificial worship, thank you. She's unhindered, unconstrained, unimpeded, unencumbered. She doesn't care about what others think. She only cares about Jesus. And in three different scenes, we're given little pictures of Mary. And you know what she's doing in all three scenes? Mary of Bethany. In Luke 10, we have the scene of Mary and Martha, and we are told that, that Martha's distracted with much serving, but Mary's what? Doing the one thing needful, which was what? Sitting at his feet. And when she sees Jesus in John 11, she falls at his feet. And in this chapter, when she sees him, she anoints his feet. You see, she is the picture of being in the prostrate, humble position of being at his feet. And she throws decorum, socially accepted norms out the window. Her whole, the whole house is taken up with the smell. I thought about having like some big smell thing in here this morning, but you know, for your sensory, but there'll be some that would complain, just like Judas. And I thought, <laughs> I thought I'm not gonna do it because I care too much about what people think. No. <laughs> she was expressing her love and her love is still being told. She was saying in essence, we're the whole realm of nature mine, that we're a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. She's saying, take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will ever be, ever only all for thee. She was expressing her love. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 18. If we get the gospel, then we become these Marys. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Mary took her greatest possession, and it was nothing. Why was it nothing that she's throwing this down? Because she knew that G what Jesus had done was so much greater. Jim Elliott it's one of the martyrs. He was one of the five martyrs that was killed as missionaries that went to reach the Alka Indians. And I'll talk more about them in, in a minute. But he said he's no fool 
who gives what he, what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so Mary, she throws it all down. Well, how does that go over with the rest of the church? Isn't this an interesting thing? This is why people don't like the church sometimes. It's because of the harsh people like Judas. Judas is a law abuser. What's a law abuser? He's someone that wants to make himself look really holy and in the process makes Mary look really horrible. You can always find a way to limit mercy, always find a way to limit love, and you can use the law to distance yourself from people, to manipulate, to intimidate, to condemn, to control. That's a scary thing, that in the church sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. And so what we're seeing here is Jesus has to come to the defense and stick up for Mary in front of all these men. And Judas, <clears throat> we know that, that he complains and then the others got along with it and they, they were complaining. But the reality was there was a deeper, darker reason why he was complaining. And what was the reason? Is that his heart was dark. He was a lover of money and he was a thief. Matthew Henry said he loved in his heart to be fingering money. He wanted to be fingering those shekels. Proverbs warns about this in Proverbs 23. It says, don't eat the bread of a man who's stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he's one who's inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You see, Jesus, Judas was saying, Jesus is not worth this kind of sacrifice. Certainly not this much. This is too much. You need a better sense of proportion, Mary. Who do you think Jesus is? He's certainly not worth everything. He's maybe worth just coming to Easter service once a year. That's about what he's worth. Don't worry about next week. Mary lays it all on the line. And she gives her all to Jesus. When the five martyrs were killed... And they just had the 60th anniversary last year, but the story of these five martyrs, they went down to reach the Alka Indians. And these were five of the most incredible, gifted men. And they're all gifted in different things. So you had Nate Saint, he was a gifted pilot. He was also a gifted mechanic. And he was a very smart engineering mind, and he came up with some different inventions to reach the Alka people, even invented this line that they could drop down. And he could maneuver the plane in perfect circles so that the rope would come down and they could exchange gifts at a stationary point on the ground. He also came up with a reserve fuel tank so he knew exactly how much fuel was in this little Piper Cub. And they went after these Alka Indians and the reason they were called Alka is Alka is the word for savage. They had killed anybody who got near them. And so these men thought it's worth it. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus' death and resurrection. And they weren't the first to do this. You know, nobody ever, who's ever heard of Cecil and Bob Dye, Dave Bacon, George Horshock, and Eldon Hunter? Anybody heard of those people? They were five missionaries in 1944 that did the same exact thing with New Tribes Mission in Bolivia. But nobody ever heard their story. Matter of fact, they were probably murdered weeks before the search party ever left to look for them. Their bodies were never found, and it received little notice by the world press. These five people are completely forgotten. But these five, Jim Elliott, Peter Fleming, Ed McCulley, Nate Saint, and Roger Udarian, they created a buzz. 
And the reason was, was that the news picked up the story. Not only did the news pick up the story, but the ladies, the amazing women, that they didn't think the cost was too great. They were willing to count the cost. They lost their husbands, many of them. And they went in and ministered to them, to the Alcas, after the death of a husband. And Elizabeth Elliot wrote books, and she published Jim Elliot's journal, and then she wrote other books. And it brought to life these incredible statements that these men made. Let me just read you a couple that they didn't think it was too costly. Jim Elliott, Wheaton College, President, Student Foreign Missions Fellowship, persuasive communicator. He said, oh God, save me from a life of barrenness. Following a, a, a regular pattern, following a formal pattern of ethics and give instead the vital contact of soul with thy divine life that fruit may be produced and life abundant living may be known again as the final proof of Christ's message and work. He said he makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable, he wrote? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the spirit that I might be a flame. But a flame is transient, often short-lived. Can you bear this, my, my soul short life? In me there dwells the spirit of, the, spirit of the great short-lived whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Peter Fleming very intelligent. He was the linguist, had his MA in literature, married his childhood sweetheart, Olive. He said, the Lord has been leading my meditation to the stringent statements of Christ regarding discipleship, especially those words of Christ to his disciples before he sent them out. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. I have been directed to these and similar passages again and again. I should like to put these truths to the utmost test. Seemingly, God delights in many instances to place men in situations which magnify their weaknesses for the simple delight of showing himself strong to all. Ed McCulley, president, senior class, Wheaton, won the National Hearst Oratorical Contest in San Francisco in 1949, went on to Marquette, Marquette University Law School. He and his wife, Mary Lou, had two sons, and they were expecting a third. He said, I have one desire now to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. Roger Udarian, who was an airborne ranger who was at the Battle of the Bulge, he too gave his life. And then you had Nate Saint. So these, these guys went, and they were willing to take the risk to reach these people. And the, the, the story is long. There's been movie uh, made out of it. But what's interesting is when this happened in January 8th, 1956, okay, Life Magazine in its heyday had 8 million uh, subscribers. We can't even fathom that. Nobody even knows who Life Magazine is now, right? Mostly young people have never even heard of them. They were, they were, as Donald Trump would say, huge, okay? <laughs> they covered this story. And you know what the headline of their article was? Had a big covered the story pictures, and the title was, Why This Waste? The same thing that Judas said in the other accounts of the Gospels. Why this waste? This is a waste of five brilliant men and five wonderful spouses and children now being left without. Was it worth it? Well, certainly the world 
and Life Magazine were saying, why this waste? And yet now, 60 years later, we're still hearing about people that have gone to the mission field because of these five missionaries and their spouses. There's still people coming to Christ and this tribe has been reached and there is a church today among the Alcas. And not only is there a church, there's this beautiful, I mean, if you just watch the video of Ken Fleming talking about his brother, and it was just last year, and he's got a picture of his arm around the very man who threw the spear that killed his brother. And his brother, Peter Fleming, was the linguist saying, why are you killing us? We came here to be your friends. He was the last one to be killed. Why are you killing us? We came here to be your friends. And he was the last one killed. And the very spear that killed him is now Ken Fleming. They both have their arm around each other. They're, they're friends, they're brothers in Christ. He's been forgiven. He's experienced the grace of the gospel. And the, the gospel has gone forward in ways that it would have never gone forward if these men hadn't been willing to count the cost. Jim Elliott said to, to Betty, or Elizabeth, if this is the way God wants it to be, I'm ready to die for the salvation of the Alcas. What about you this morning? Are you a Judas? Are you a Mary? Do you criticize when you see beauty? Or do you look for ways to find fault with it? Like, eh, I don't like that. Do you stand on the sidelines? Or do you have a reckless abandonment? Because you see that what Jesus is saying here is that he's worth it. That's what he's saying. He's saying the poor you'll always have. But here's an opportunity to love me. And she's doing it. She did this for my burial. He's, I mean, if anybody out said this, it would be just the most incredibly arrogant, audacious statement. But Jesus is saying, I'm worth it. He's worthy. He's worthy to lay your life down. And if the resurrection isn't true, we are be pitied of all people. But if Jesus has truly punched a hole through death and knocked down that wall and there's nothing there to stop us, we go right on through to the other side and to be absent from the bodies, be present from the Lord, and now there's this light of eternity because Jesus has punched it through. And he's saying, lay your life down. Live for me. There's something so much greater on the other side. The best is yet to come. And this world has no sorrows that heaven can't fill because Jesus has conquered the grave. And so this little snapshot shows us both Jesus' death and his resurrection and how to live in light of that. And Mary's got it. She got it before anybody else got it. She knew that he was gonna die. And it was worth her to make a sacrifice of love that we still proclaim. Still is told. What about our story? It still needs to be told. Let's pray. Lord, may we love you with reckless abandonment, knowing that you had all power, all authority, was given into your hands, that you weren't corrupted. You laid it all aside and came and died for rebels. Lord, we need you, and we need your grace. Lord, we're selfish people. We don't like to be criticized. We don't like hardship. We don't like anything that causes us to die to ourselves. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us your spirit 
that the same attitude of Christ Jesus would be in us and that we would see that nothing is beneath us and that we live our lives with purpose and abandonment for your glory. We ask in your name, Jesus' name, amen.